0: Well, uh, good evening everyone, Uh, let me add my uh, welcome to uh, Ollie's. My name is Johnny. I'm the pastor and part of the leadership team here at Heaven. And if if we haven't met before, um, please do come and say hello after the service. I'd love to get to know you a little bit better um, if you're happy to say hi. Um, Now, it is worth saying that Ollie um, is in my home group. I thought we'd had a good time together on Wednesday evening, but it turns out Ollie felt like he'd donated an organ. Um, (laughs) Please don't let that put you off. Um, Please do engage with with home groups and uh, with Hope Explored over the next few weeks. We'd love to have you, um, whether in my group or in the various groups meeting around the city, and it is a great uh, chance, as always mentioned, to, to gather together, to encourage, and to be encouraged um, as uh, uh, Christians. Now, we're going to be reading this evening from Malachi chapters 1 and 2, and it would be helpful uh, if you could have that open in front of you, and both as I read and then over the course of the next few minutes. And It'll be Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6, and we'll read to chapter 2, verse nine malachi 1 verse 6 a son honors his father and a servant his master if then i am a father where is my honor and if i am a master where is my fear says the lord of hosts to you O priests who despise my name But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered in my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offering and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. And people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you've turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction." Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to pray and to ask God's help as we spend a few minutes thinking about it together. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we come before you in praise and thanksgiving this evening that you are a God who has spoken. And we ask that as we consider your spoken word together, you would help us to listen. That in doing so, we would be confronted and challenged and encouraged and rebuked, transformed by the work of your Holy Spirit in order that we might love and honour you as we ought. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Well then, um, some of you might have heard the news story that's been r- relatively big news in the United States uh, over the past couple of weeks about a man called George Santos Santos is an American politician, he won an election to the US House of Representatives in December of last year, but before he was actually able to take office in January this year, reports began to emerge that he had misrepresented himself. Basically, he had lied about aspects of his life and career during the election campaign, He claimed to have undergraduate and master's degrees, for example, when it transpired he'd never graduated from university at all. He said that he'd worked as an investment banker with Goldman Sachs, but the company had no records of him ever having worked there. And he claimed that his grandparents had been Jews who had escaped the Holocaust in Ukraine during the Second World War, when they had instead been living in Brazil at the time. And in fact, when he was pressed on the fact that he wasn't Jewish, as he had claimed, he responded by saying this. Because I learned my maternal family had a Jewish background, I said that I was Jew-ish. Now, Santos's fall has been big news in the States. But he isn't exactly the first leader to be caught out for an act of misrepresentation. Far from it, in fact. We might think closer to home, to the MPs' expenses scandal a few years ago, where public funds were being wrongly used by political leaders eh, on their own ends. Perhaps we think of examples of of business leaders in recent years, over-inflating the values of companies before selling their stocks and making off with a fortune. And it isn't just in politics or in business. Very sadly... There are plenty of examples of misrepresentation among Christian leaders, too. There have been a number of high-profile Christian leaders in recent months and years who have misrepresented themselves. People who held themselves out as being above reproach, but who have actually been found guilty of sexual infidelity, of financial impropriety of abuses, of of power and authority. And in some cases, a horrible and destructive cocktail of all of those things. Being called out for misrepresentation is a big deal in all kinds of leadership, not least in Christian leadership. And the reason I begin with that this evening is that we're going to be spending the next few minutes thinking about spiritual leaders, the leaders of God's people, being called out for misrepresentation only they aren't found to be misrepresenting themselves and what they're really like first and foremost rather they're found to be misrepresenting god and what he's really like and that misrepresentation is a really really big deal Now, you might have noticed, as we read the passage a few minutes ago, that the folks in the dock in Malachi 1 and 2 are primarily the leaders of God's people. And if you didn't spot that, just look again with me to chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. This is God, through his prophet Malachi, addressing the spiritual leaders of Malachi's day. And he says this, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. See, the priests, the the, the spiritual leaders of God's people in Malachi's day, had turned aside from God's way. And that was an especially big deal, because they therefore weren't the only ones involved. Chapter 2, verse 8. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. See, their turning away from God was causing others to turn away from God. And as we'll see this evening, as we burrow in in more detail over the next few minutes, the instruction that was causing other people to turn away, well, at its root was a misrepresentation of God's standards to God's people. That's really the crux of our passage this evening. God's leaders misrepresenting God's standards to God's people. One author puts it a bit more directly than that. He says that the priests are peddling a religion of easy acceptance. And that is a very dangerous thing to do indeed. Let's look a bit more closely and see what that looked like. We'll do that under our first heading uh, this evening. The problem, God's leaders misrepresenting God's standards to God's people. Now I, I wonder if as we read these few uh, verses a few minutes ago, you noticed that there's a lot of discussion about sacrifices and, and about animals and about altars. And it might all have sounded a little bit confusing to us, not least at, at first pass. But the reason for the discussion and the seeming preoccupation with sacrifices and animals and altars is that in Malachi's day, the relationship between God and his people, well, it revolved around sacrifices. It revolved around a sacrificial system. See, God's people were to offer sacrifices to him, and they were to do that for a couple of different reasons. The first was to deal with their sin. God's people had always been rebellious towards him. And that rebellion had rightly angered God. But in his kindness, God had provided that by sacrificing pure and unblemished animals, God's people could make atonement. Could deal with God's right anger at their rebellion against him. So that was the first reason for the sacrifices, to deal with their sin. And the second reason was worship. God's people could make offerings to God to give thanks, to praise him for his kindness and his goodness. That's what was meant to happen. That's what God had told his people should be happening. All of what which made what was happening instead a real shock. Chapter one verse eight. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? See, rather than bringing God the best of their best, the kinds of animals God had required of them, the people were bringing blind ones, sick ones, lame ones. And that wasn't because they'd fallen on hard times and those are the only kinds of animals left. Chapter 1, verse 14 Cursed be the cheat, who has a male in his flock, and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. The whole thing's a bit of a bait and switch. The people knew to make sacrifices to God, they knew they were meant to give the best of their best, unblemished ones. They they even had those kinds of animals in their flock. But they were deliberately choosing to give God second best. That's what was was going on. That's what the people were doing in Malachi's day. But I mentioned a few moments ago that the spotlight isn't actually on the people in general. I, I mean, they aren't exactly commended or given medals for what they're doing, but they aren't really the main focus of God's rebuke in Malachi 1 and 2. Just look back to chapter 1, verse 6 to notice who the rebuke is directed to me. Chapter 1, verse 6. Says the Lord of hosts, To you, O priests, who despise my name. Chapter 2, verse 1. And now, O priests, this command is for you. See, the spotlight falls on on the priests, the ones who would carry out the sacrifices on behalf of the people, the ones who were meant to be teaching the people. And that all feels a bit harsh. They aren't the ones trying to fleece God. Why hold them responsible for people's behavior? Well, we find that out in that verse we read just a few minutes ago. Chapter 2, verse 7. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. And people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you've turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You see, the priests are in the dock and not the people. Because the priests are meant to be the ones holding the line. To be instructing the people. Preserving people's knowledge of God. Setting the spiritual temperature, if you like and instead they'd gone off the boil they drifted they were misrepresenting God's standards to the people they were turning a blind eye on the lame and the blind animals being brought to the offering table perhaps even teaching that it was no big deal it's fine just bring whatever you've got that's the problem at stake God's leaders misrepresenting God's standards to God's people But I wonder if that might seem like a bit of an overreaction to some of us. I'm I'm no expert in uh, livestock, if if that even needs to be said. I'm no expert in livestock, but surely a sheep is a sheep and a goat is a goat. And, And the people are still offering something to him. They're offering some kind of sacrifice to God. It isn't like they've stopped doing it altogether. Is God just kind of nitpicking? Is he being a bit petty? Well, no you see there are two big issues at stake when the priests start falsely representing god's standards to his people let's think about the first of those misrepresenting god's standards to god's people dishonors god Now a close friend of mine used to work in the kitchen um, of a restaurant a number of years ago and and one day, completely unannounced, uh, a well-known Hollywood actor called Bruce Willis arrived in the restaurant along with his entourage looking for a bite to eat. The guy was and still is famous the world over Uh, and despite the restaurant being a relatively posh one, uh, they didn't get many people like that through the door. And so as soon as word spread around the kitchens of the restaurant, it was all hands on deck. I also used to know the head chef in that restaurant. He was a a no-nonsense kind of guy. But my friend told me that when Willis showed up, even the head chef was flapping like a seagull in a chip shop. He dropped absolutely everything he was doing to prepare a meal for this VIP, to give him the kind of meal that his status deserved. And that's the kind of illustration that Malachi uses to hammer his point home in chapter 1, verse 8. Just look at that with me. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. If the governor of Persia, an immensely powerful man, if he, if he happens to turn up unannounced in Jerusalem for a visit, asks God, how would you treat him? Would you you bring out one of the animals you've been bringing to me? He asks. What about that sickly looking one you brought me last week? Or or what about the blind one the week before? Of course you wouldn't. You'd do everything you could to try and please him. He would get the best of your best. So why on earth do you think my standards are lower than his? Why is my honour worth less to you than his honour? Comes the question. So might come the answer. Well, he's... Very powerful as a governor. To which God might well respond. Verse 14. I am a great king. Says the Lord of hosts. And my name will be feared among the nations. This is the Lord of hosts. This is the God of the universe. The one to whom one day every knee will bow. So can you see it's no wonder that God's honor is offended when instead of treating him like he deserves, well, they, they, they treat him as a second thought. That's the first reason for the charges leveled against the priests, God's honor. You see, by lowering the bar of what was seen to be acceptable to God, they were dishonoring God. But misrepresenting God's standards to the people didn't just dishonor God if that wasn't bad enough. It also had horrible consequences for the people themselves. That's the second issue at stake in misrepresenting God's standards. Misrepresenting God's standards to God's people cuts them off from God's grace. Now, I'm going to ask you to exercise your imagination for a moment. I know it's a big ask on a Sunday evening, but please bear with me. I want you just to imagine for a moment that a doctor finds out that one of their patients has a serious illness. The doctor knows that there is a possible cure for that illness but also knows that breaking the diagnosis to their patient isn't going to go down very well. So instead of telling their patient the actual prognosis, the doctor decides to tell them they've got a less serious condition than they really have. Perhaps even puts the patient on medication for the made-up condition to keep the the whole charade up. Now, to the patient receiving that news, it sounds like relatively good news. Things aren't as serious as I had feared. I'm, I'm not that sick. And it's good news for the doctor too. They get to avoid having a difficult and upsetting conversation with their patient. It's a win-win, isn't it? Well, not really. It feels better in the short term, to everyone involved perhaps. But you see, watering down the bad news, it doesn't do anything to deal with the problem. And if anything, it's only storing up an even greater problem down the track. And so it is with the priests of Malachi's day. You see, the sacrificial system wasn't just an arbitrary thing. God didn't decide on a whim that he fancied making the people give them some other animals one day. No, he told them to do it because they were a rebellious people. They'd rejected him corporately and individually. And by rights, they shouldn't have been able to approach him to, to have any relationship with him at all. And yet the animals were a way by which they could. By which their sin could be dealt with. By which they could come into his presence. Those sacrifices were actually an expression of God's kindness. Of his grace towards them. And all of that means that what the priests are sanctioning, what they're teaching. Even though it, it, it might actually have made them look quite gracious and quite reasonable. Well it's actually cutting people off from the real offer of grace that God has extended. It's giving a very, very sick patient a very, very mild medicine. Just look with me again at chapter 1, verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, And I will not accept an offering from your hand. Can you see they're cutting people off from the grace of God by thinking that second best is good enough? It's no wonder that God takes the priests wandering so seriously. Misrepresenting God's standards both dishonors him and it threatens people's relationship to him. And we get a sense of just how seriously God takes this issue when we read the sentence that he hands down to the priests. It's graphic. Might have made you flinch as I read it a few minutes ago. And, well, that's kind of the point. Chapter 2, verse 3. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. You see, dishonoring God and causing his people to stumble are serious, serious issues. And so God promises to judge the priests in a horrible and a graphic way if they will not turn to him. Now that's what I think is going on in Malachi chapters 1 and 2. But it is always important to ask, what does any of that mean for us? It might feel pretty remote from our experience. I suspect most of us won't have given much thought this week to animal sacrifice, or priests, or dung even. It's a world away from 21st century Aberdeen. But let me just say that it really, really isn't. Think back to the idea we opened with a few minutes ago. A Christian leader misrepresenting the truth. See, when that misrepresentation is about their own behaviour... That's really, really bad. But can you see just how damaging this other kind of misrepresentation is? Misrepresenting God and God's standards to his people. And actually, when a Christian leader, a, a, a pastor, a teacher, a, 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 um, an elder, for example, wanders from God in this kind of way, well, the same two issues are at stake as were at stake in Malachi people's acceptability before God and God's honour. What do I mean? Well, we don't offer animal sacrifices to God as Christians. But that isn't because God's standards have lowered since then. But because, as we've already thought about this evening, we have a once and for all perfect sacrifice. We are made right with God. We can rightly relate to him only through the work of our perfect, unblemished sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And so you see, a Christian leader who misrepresents God's standards in our day won't be baiting and switching with imperfect goats for perfect ones. No, for a Christian leader to misrepresent God's standards will involve teaching that something, anything other than the cross of Jesus is good enough to make us right with God let me say that again all that's needed for a Christian leader to misrepresent God's standards today is to teach that anything other than the cross of Jesus Christ can make us right with God now you might think that that could never happen in a church like Hebron eh, because we're a Bible church and eh, and the cross is always central to what we do here we've been clear on that issue for well over 100 years now and eh, we have and I'm very very thankful for that indeed and uh, yet history and in fact recent Scottish history is littered with churches who've been where Hebron is now absolutely committed to the cross but who over time have begun just to drift a little bit begun to downplay the seriousness of our sin as human beings because it's a bit of a downer really to tell people that they're sinful people don't like hearing that kind of thing begun to downplay the cross, because the idea of God requiring a blood sacrifice just sounds so primitive and primal in today's society. If there is a God, and that God is loving, then he would surely just love us regardless. Why would he even need something like the cross? I had a friend at university who um, identified as a Christian And she really struggled to get her head around the idea that Jesus claimed to be the only way to God because she had a few sincere and very kind friends who were of different faiths. And she toiled and she toiled with this issue until eventually she happened to bump into some folks who claimed to be Christian teachers, claimed to be representing God, and told her that what really matters when it comes to the Christian faith is that you're sincere no matter what religious stream you subscribe to, that if you, if you really believe it, and you believe it with all your heart, then God will save you in the end, whoever that God is. And it was a bare-faced lie. The Bible is crystal clear. Trusting in the cross of Jesus Christ is the only way we can approach a good and a right god and by convincing her otherwise as gracious and inclusive as they might have seemed and as gracious as inclusive as they might have wanted to make god seem those leaders caused her to stumble from the real grace of god in the gospel it really is that serious that's what it might look like in practice for a Christian teacher to misrepresent God's standards today, teaching that anything other than Jesus can make us right with God. And just as Christian leaders need to be warned of that danger, so too do to all Christians. My friend's situation is proof of that. If teachers are in danger of teaching it, then well, Christians are very often in danger of believing it. The only grounds that you or I have to be certain that God accepts us Is the cross of Jesus. And so if you are a Christian and you hear someone misrepresenting God's perfect standard, misrepresenting our need for a perfect sacrifice in Jesus, well, don't swallow it because it isn't true. Stick with the cross of Jesus. It's the only safe place to be. Now, if you are here this evening and you wouldn't describe yourself as being a Christian, all of that might sound like a bit of a surprise. And even the content of our passage this evening might seem a bit out there and a bit unusual. Not least the idea that we're in trouble with God at all, that we need to be made right with him. And that we can't do that ourselves. But you see, the Bible is very, very clear we are in serious, serious trouble with God. And yet he has made a way. The only way we can confidently approach him is through the death, not of of lambs or of goats, but of his perfect son, Jesus. And so the question that leaves all of us with this evening, whether we've been a Christian for a long time or have yet to make a decision, is whether we have or will acknowledge our need of forgiveness as someone who has rebelled Against him. Whether we will ask him. For his forgiveness. And whether we will take hold. With two hands. Cling so tightly. To that once and for all. Perfect sacrifice. Of the Lord Jesus. Now there is one other line. of Of application of Malachi 1 and 2. I think and with this I will close. Remember the other reason that God was exercised by uh, the priest's behaviour. He was exercised because, well, it was cutting people off from God's grace and that was a serious thing. But he was also exercised because it was undermining God's honour. God was being dishonoured by people misrepresenting him and giving him second best and christians today don't make sacrifices to atone for our sins in quite that same way we don't try and make ourselves right with god and yet we do offer sacrifices to god the apostle paul tells christians in romans 12 to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul says that people who've been rescued by Jesus and that once and for all perfect sacrifice, who are at peace with God, made acceptable before him, we are called to sacrifice. Not to make ourselves right with him, but as an act of worship and that sacrifice is an all-of-life thing says paul we are to offer our bodies to him our whole selves and so you see another way a christian teacher might misrepresent god's standards is by suggesting that, that just isn't true that god doesn't really mind what i do with my life if i'm a Christian. Of course, they're unlikely to say it as, as crassly as that. It will sound a lot more subtle, a lot more plausible than that. You know, that command was, was a cultural thing for people then. It doesn't really apply to us today. Or, again, this is something I witnessed a number of, of Christian teachers saying God wants you to be happy. So if a particular behaviour feels good to you, if living in a particular kind of relationship feels right to you, then that's God's will for your life, even if the Bible says otherwise. See, misleading God's people about what it looks like to offer our lives to him as living sacrifices, that's a dangerous, dangerous game to play. The honor of the Lord of hosts is at stake, not least that own Christian's safety in walking before him obediently. So let me just say that if you are someone who's entrusted with the joy and the responsibility of teaching the Bible in any kind of context, whether in a small group, from a pulpit, in a one-to-one, to children, wherever you happen to teach, it might well be worth just taking some time to reflect on whether there's any hint of this creeping into our own teaching or our own kind of pastoral advice, just softening the seriousness of our sin problem. Undermining the fact that the cross is the only way that problem can be dealt with. Ignoring God's call for his people to be obedient to him. Maybe in a well-intentioned way. Maybe hoping to make God seem gracious and kind. If that is any one of us, we need to heed God's warning. A warning that we may well be dishonoring his name. A warning that we may well be cutting people off. From taking hold of the real grace of God and the gospel. And so what would he have us do? Well, what did he have the priests do? He had them turn. Turn back to him. In repentance, asking forgiveness. And to stick tightly to him. And for those of us who aren't in positions of leadership, I do hope you can see the relevance of all of that to all of us. Firstly, that that we would pray for our leaders, that they would hold fast and firm to that message no matter what, even when it's uncomfortable for them. And pray too for yourself that if someone misrepresents God's standards to you, even if they're well-meaning, that you wouldn't swallow it. You see, without the cross of Jesus, we have no hope. But with him, we have everything. Let me lead us in prayer as we close. Our God and Father, we praise you as a good and right And perfect God. And we acknowledge our own rebellion against you, rejection of you, disobedience towards you, even now, which should by right separate us from you. And so we thank you and we praise you for our once and for all perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And for his death in our place. We thank you for the freedom that that gives us to approach you. And to live in right relationship with you. Both now and for eternity. Father we pray that each of us would hold fast to that truth. Wouldn't be swayed to downplay your perfect requirements. And reject your son's perfect sacrifice. And for those of us with a particular responsibility for, for teaching that good news, for holding that line, please would you keep us faithful, even if it's costly. And we ask, Lord, that if we have drifted, or if we are drifting, help us, please, to return to you in contrition, in repentance and faith. We ask all of this for the sake of your people's eternity. For the sake of your honour. And we do so in Jesus' name. And for his sake. Amen.